We are back at St. Mary's Hospital, hour number two of our two-hour event during National Hospital Week. I'm Larry Rifkin, and of course, uh, St. Mary's has been doing a wonderful job. Jennifer Clement, making certain that all of our doctors are here on time. Most importantly, though, are your needs with patients. So I don't want you at any point, Dr. <laughs> Rebecca Scandrett, if you have to leave uh, to go help someone, you do that because you are involved in interventional cardiology, and you're the director of the Cardiac Catheterization Lab at St. Mary's Hospital. And I know that this hospital has a distinction that few others have, particularly none in our region. Explain that. Yes, so we just recently received accreditation from the American College of Cardiology as a chest pain center with primary PCI and with resuscitation. Um, it's a, quite an honor to have received this accreditation. It was a big, long process. Um, only one other hospital in all of Connecticut has this, and we are the only one in Waterbury that currently has this accreditation. So we're, we're quite proud. What comfort should that give someone, well, who may be in discomfort, I, <laughs> I must add, but you know, what really comfort should that give the people of the Waterbury area? Because there was a time before the Heart Center and all where everybody said, well, if you have a heart event here in Waterbury, you've got to go to New Haven or Hartford. What does all of this mean to us? It, it really just um, exemplifies the great cardiac care that we give our patients here at St. Mary's. Um, so someone who's coming in with chest pain, we've proven that we know how to quickly and accurately triage those patients because a lot of things can cause chest pain. So it's our job to very quickly identify those patients who may be having a life-threatening event, such as a heart attack, versus those who are having a little acid reflux or stomach upset. And really, we, we see that whole spectrum, and we are able to very quickly and accurately triage these patients and get them the appropriate care they need. And the the accreditation from the ACC really just says, yep, we're doing a good job and keep doing it. Well, I know that we've been coming to St. Mary's for National Hospital Week for a number of years, and I've always marveled at the acknowledgement that you've gotten for that pace and the speed and the coordination uh, from the moment that a call comes in to what you're prepping and getting ready for. Just explain, uh, for those of us who watch too much Chicago Med or whatever, <laughs> what really goes on. So, you know, it's the the team really starts from the moment you call 911. So, if you are at home and you develop chest pain, I actually I just left the office and was talking to one of my patients who said, "You know, a few months ago I had an event. I thought for sure I was having a heart attack, but I just sat at home." And that gave me chest pain hearing that. Um, and and what I said to her is, if you ever are sitting at home and have discomfort in your chest, um, classically it's a heaviness or a pressure or squeezing, and you're thinking to my yourself, gosh, I think this is a heart attack. You call 911. That's the first thing you should do. The second thing you should do is take an aspirin. Um, by calling 911, that activates our emergency medical system. When they arrive on scene, they will get an EKG in the field. So, we, you know, a lot of people say, well, why can't I drive myself in? 
One of the reasons is it just activates the whole system that much quicker. So when EMS obtains an EKG, and if that meets criteria for what's called an ST elevation MI or a heart attack, they can transmit that EKG from the field to our emergency room. So our emergency room doctors can see that EKG, and if they feel it meets various criteria, they can activate the whole cardiac catheterization lab team. So that gives us, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15, sometimes even 20-plus minutes to get the team in place so we're ready for the patient when they walk through the door. I've got to say that I'm a little bit surprised sometimes when I still hear that statistically more people are dying from heart disease than cancer. We hear so much more about cancer. We've also heard about so many advances as it relates to cardiac care and things that we never could fix before. My dad died of a congenital heart problem that would have been easily remedied just three, four years on. So I'm just surprised that it still is the number one killer. You know, it, it, in spite of all our best efforts, it does. It's just the prevalence is there. It's the American diet. <laughs> um, it's that's the it, biggest culprit. You know, really, I think that, it? and I think it's just our um, our fast-paced society doesn't let us have time to take that 20-minute walk. I mean, those small little things can make such a huge difference in prevention, and it, and it's truly education. So it's recognizing. What are the various things about you that may put you in a higher or lower risk category? So if you're a diabetic, if you have a strong family history, if you have high blood pressure, all those things are increasing your risk, and you need, need to take that seriously, and it starts with the primary care physician seeing your primary care doc, getting those risk factors under control, and then making those lifestyle changes. So if you're someone who every family member's dropped dead you know, before the age of 50 from a heart attack, well, you can't sit there smoking and never get off the couch. Like You, you need to be proactive. When should somebody really think about getting some help with a cardiologist? I think a lot of us get referred to a urologist early on with PSAs and so on, or you have to go to a gastroenterologist for your colonoscopies. But many people don't until there's probably a, an event uh, where they go to a cardiologist. What's, what's the best rule of thumb if there is one? Well, I think it's, you know, obviously individualized. I think, um, again, if you have the risk factors, I think getting involved with a cardiologist earlier is better than later. So, um, you know, the, the standard risk factors, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, smoking, family history. Um, if, if all of those, if you're saying check, 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 it's probably a good idea to at least talk to your primary care doc. Should I be screened by a cardiologist? Short of that, you know, symptoms. Um, the symptoms that are kind of the warning signs that there could be a problem developing, um, and, and I'm talking predominantly right now about coronary artery disease, but there's a lot of other things that can go on with the heart. But in terms of coronary artery disease is anything that's predictable, any symptom that's predictable and reproducible, meaning, you know, every time I walk up a flight of stairs, I get a, a pressure in my chest, and every time I stop, it goes away, or... You know, I can walk 50 yards, but if I try to go to 75, I know I'm going to get some sort of discomfort. And it, it's not always a pressure. Sometimes it's a burning. Sometimes it's a jaw pain. It, it, you know, but if you're finding that there's a clear pattern, that's when you need to stop and you need, need to get on the phone. We hear about symptoms, but they are different, are they not, between the genders? And are more women 
uh, finding that they are heart involved because they're now involved in so many of the same things that men used to be in terms of workload and pressures of work, family, and so forth. Tell us about that breakdown from a female male standpoint. Well, in women as in men, you know, heart disease is the number one cause of death. Um, so it used to be, I think, women thought they were immune to this, and they were so busy taking care of everybody else, else that they didn't really think about themselves. So I think, again, education, education, education is number one. In terms of the symptoms, women can have the same symptoms men do. Um, you know, most classically, the, the symptoms really do overlap, which is that heaviness or pressure. But they can probably more frequently have what are called atypical symptoms, um, things like, uh, you know, burning discomfort, um, more uh, breathlessness rather than a real heaviness or pressure. Some I've had women say to me, you know, every time I walked a flight of stairs, I felt like my bra was tightening on me, and then I then it was gone. I figured it was just my bra. Um, you know, they. I think women are more likely to find other excuses and not seek attention. Um, although I've been having, you know, I got to say, I think our efforts are. I'm seeing some uh, fruit, uh, fruit from them in that. I'm seeing more and more women come to me saying, you know, I just wanted to be checked. I have these symptoms. I'm not sure. I've heard a lot about this. I want to make sure I'm okay. And I think that's great. We often hear about cancer survivors coming together and celebrating uh, the extension of life uh, because of all the great medical advances and so forth. What about the heart uh, survivors? Should they not take uh, some uh, great comfort in the fact that there's so many things that have been done? I mean, I know so many people who say, well, well, I had an angioplasty, I'm fine, or I went and got my arteries cleared out. And so, I mean, everybody really has done so terrifically well whenever they've gotten to you and others in time. It, you know, I think that's very true. I think... Um I think there is should be a community. I think there is. One of the things we always um, do after some sort of coronary event, so if they've had an angioplasty or a heart attack, what have you, bypass surgery, we try to get people to cardiac rehab. And it's not so much just for the exercise, but it's for the camaraderie. It's for the community you have because you're there with people who've experienced the same thing. So it's truly a really nice support group. And I, I think you can't underestimate how important that is. I've, I've had, um, unfortunately, a, a bunch of younger patients, early 40s, who really? had heart attacks recently. And that really... To, you know, is a big blow to them psychologically in terms of getting back to, can I, you know, am I going to be okay or am I going to, you know, drop dead from this? And I think getting them over that hump and making them realize you had an issue, we've addressed it, we're going to continue to address it with medications, but that you survived and that you can get back to your life. Um, it can take a while. When we talk about it still being the number one killer, is that because the fatal heart attack is still a Amongst us, and so somebody can just without warning, you know, be struck. Because when you do get them here, I mean, the fact is that they perhaps, you know, are going to get care that they never could have gotten in the past, and they are going to be saved, and they're going to be able to restore themselves. Is it more the fatal heart attack that we're still? I, I think that's part of it. I think it's also, it's just such a high prevalence of disease. So there's just so many people who have coronary artery Some disease. form of it, exactly. so it's deteriorating. Exactly, yeah. that even with all of our improvements, given the just the vast numbers, it, um, 
you, you, people still, you know, unfortunately, there are times when you just can't can't fix them. And, you know, that just also goes to speak to um, seeking medical care in a timely fashion. That's what the, we can the, do. Don't try the, to tough it out. Exactly. You're not going to be able to. The, the quicker you get to us, the more chance we can help you. Um, I just had a patient who, you know, unfortunately waited over a week um, to seek medical care after his heart attack, and it made a big difference. Um, and so I think if we can, if you're having symptoms, they're not going away, it's been a 20 minutes, you call 911. If, if you think, gosh, is this a heart attack? I'd rather you come in and be sent home than sit at home for a week and, and come into us very soon. Uh, great information. Thank you so much for coming by today. Dr. Rebecca Scandrett, she is the interventional cardiologist and director of the Cardiac Catheterization Lab at St. Mary's Hospital. We're going to take a break from National Hospital Week here at St. Mary's, 56 Franklin Street in downtown Waterbury, but they're located all around the region, and now they're part of Trinity Health New England, of course, which joins with St. Francis and Mercy and Johnson Memorial and Mount Sinai into this great network of support. We'll be back here at St. Mary's in just a moment. back at St. Mary's Hospital in downtown Waterbury as part of our live broadcast for National Hospital Week. And uh, we have a great guest, uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation, Marcus McKinney, Vice President of Community Health, Chief Health Equity Officer for Trinity Health New England. And that, of course, encompasses St. Francis Hospital in Hartford, Mercy Medical Center, St. Mary's here in Waterbury, Johnson Memorial, way out east, and then Mount Sinai Rehabilitation Hospital. So you've got quite a swath of responsibility to try to integrate care, understanding the socioeconomic element to all of this. Explain what you're doing every day. So I think I would start by the fact that all those places you named and maybe some others where physicians' offices yes. are, are communities in themselves. They're families, individuals that have a culture within their neighborhood, within their streets, and, and government is a little different in each of those sites. And so what we need to do first is, is in community health and health, health equity issues, really start to get to know the community. So a lot of our work is in the street, meeting with groups, meeting with uh, health-related groups, and frankly, people that are helping with everyday life. And as we get to know groups, we actually learn what we need to learn to better change access to health care, making health care better, more accessible, but also better quality, tuned to the cultural great diversity we have in each of those regions you mentioned. Well, Chad Wabel was on with us earlier, and he pointed us in one direction that I'd like you to pick up the ball and run with it, and that is as it relates to men not wanting to come in for health care early on. And he said that is really prevalent in the African-American community. So when you go out and you want to find somebody early on to be more preventative rather 
rather than a Hail Mary attempt to save one's life or well-being. How important is all of that, oh, understanding that? We couldn't, you couldn't state how important. It's so important. Um, and, and almost for any kind of man in any setting, whatever background. But we prioritized African-American men with the creation of what we call the Curtis D. Robinson Center for Health Equity, which is now using its bandwidth to go across the entire Trinity Health region. And why? Because the numbers are pretty compelling. You, you have a lot of men who are, you know, you walk up to them and they'd say, yeah, I got a doctor. When was the last time you saw him? Well, I'd have to think, five, six, seven years ago. None of us as men in general, with wonderful exceptions, love to go to the doctor and say, you're going to the doctor. How does that sound? Well, uh, so we have to really tune into what motivates someone. Where do we need to start a relationship? And the theme that we talked about earlier, well, we need to go out to the community. Where are men gathering? Well, they gather in places like the Caribbean Club and the churches and all kinds of uh, community-based groups. We get to know them. We might offer some assessment as to what their needs are, but we also could offer some screening. We were focused initially and still do quite a bit of prostate cancer screening because it's the number one killer for African-American men. And so the wives often bring them out. And we love that because we're getting two folks, uh, the family, maybe the daughter, maybe the mother, but we're having people really get connected relationally. So the next day or two, they could actually feel comfortable calling St. Mary's Hospital and saying, you know what, I spoke to Mark McKinney, and I want to follow this up. He gave me a number here, and I'd like my husband to get this screening. He's ready. He says he's okay. Now, as Vice President of Community Health and Chief Health Equity Officer, how much do you have to convince those within the hospital who might see their role as being, look, when they come in, I will handle it. I'll handle it professionally with great compassion. But me going out or me doing more extension work is not necessarily what I thought I was signing up for. That's right. We haven't necessarily helped our health practitioners and people in healthcare really engage the community in a way that can be, like you just said, uh, large impact. So we, we're doing a lot of work around not just training people, but bringing them out to the community. We call them service lines. So we would take people from the heart area of St. Mary's and walk them right out into a screening going on and, and help them enjoy the group before they're doing a whole lot of teaching one way. Teaching goes two ways in this community, in most communities. People are kind of tired of being lectured at. What they'd like for you to know is what their life is like. So why is a person struggling with maybe some stress that might exacerbate a heart condition? Well, they would want to tell you the place I live or the violence I've seen or maybe the economy and not getting a job easily. All these things people need to talk about. And I have found that our health uh, practitioners, they just love to learn about the community. And you know what? Our biggest seller to make this happen is the community loving people coming out to their setting. So they think, wow, you went the extra mile. I'm going to remember your name. And you, you can take I've, 32 years I've been at St. Francis. Let me tell you, more people come to St. Mary's and the, our hospitals because they've actually experienced a good relationship or they have a friend who has. And for me, that counts a lot to address some inequities that need to be 
solved by good relationships. Life expectancy in the United States, I was just reading, is on the downward tilt. And you say, wait a minute, we've got the most sophisticated technology. But one of the reasons I was reading was the interruption in care because of our quilt work uh, in terms of social uh, insurance and the like. I mean, how important is all of that, that somebody is not connected to the medical community in any meaningful way? So let me start with the top level of that and then go to... uh, access to a practitioner at the top level here's a sobering idea that's pretty solid on research 80% of what equates to a per- determines a person's health 80% is not medical it's not nurses medicine it's not physicians 80% of what's determining your and my health it is our behaviors it is access to pharmacies. It's the money to be able to pay for it. It's us having anxiety and stress uh, when we try to figure out the ACA or whatever's coming next. It turns out 80%. So if we're going to see those numbers change, we're going to have to, as health systems, not just hospitals, health systems, imagine this work differently, which is where I come in, and all the team, which there are probably 40-some people throughout Trinity Health New England, who are experts in outreach, expert in culture, diverse cultures, and really bring to bear the things that we can not underwrite all the time, but help collaborate with within our streets. That is, like the Urban League or the YMCA, and become partners with those who, together, we are pretty sure we can go upstream, I call it, upstream to prevention and addressing the safety issues, transportation issues, those kinds of things. Part of that is certainly access to care, because we've not always thought about bus lines and where we're planting a doctor's office. We are definitely doing that now. We need to do more of it. Oh, absolutely. I'm reading online because you put a lot of information there. Four considerations to improve health and well-being for all. And you talk about socioeconomic factors. And I don't think people really understand because many of the environmental ills of the society end up in urban areas because of history, tradition, and uh, because of political influence. Then your physical environment, you have a place like a rails for trails or trails for rails where you can actually go out and uh, be physical. Health behaviors, and that's having a lot of good information and a lot of history, and it's also having market availability to you. Lots of places that are really deserts in terms of food, and then clinical care. So how many of those are you able to affect? And I know the clinical care you just mentioned, you're able to kind of get back out into the community and play various facilities how do you affect some of these other things uh, as well well the, the primary first principle is have good relationships because we have folks in the community with modest dollars from state city foundations they're doing this work we have not as health systems always been you know wedded to mm. be able to talk about the diabetic patient who comes into the ED now for the third time in this month and their diabetes is unstable we've not necessarily tied like we could to the partners in the community that would say well of course if you ask the questions of that young fella you you might discover that where he's living they've had a lot of violence in the last month and so when when it gets violent he may actually say to you in anywhere well, yes, this is a problem for me because I don't sleep right 
for a week after that. I don't eat right for a week after that. When we bring these and wed these experts together, which doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes intention, we can actually craft a plan of care that can go from their neighborhood to the caregiver in primary care. That's what we're seeking to do. Well, St. Mary's is a new member of this entire Trinity Health New England. So how much of an assessment have you done of the Waterbury area to say, all right, we've looked at Hartford and we're now embedded in the north end of Hartford, Albany Avenue, and so forth. What do you have to learn about Waterbury, and how are you bringing all of this logic uh, to the process here in our community? So two things real quickly. One is there's a... Uh, first of all, i got a lot to learn. Let me just say that. I want to learn a whole lot more. My first thing I want to learn is folks like Sister Dolores and Catherine and Barbara, people who are here through this health system at St. Mary's and are engaging the community. So I've been sitting with them for many, many months, say, what do you know that I should help support you in, and how can I be with you in these events? But then secondly, there is an infrastructure in Greater Waterbury, the Greater Waterbury Health Improvement Partnership, all of those things and what's being done there to engage partners to assess what is the greatest needs in this community, we want to be part of. So we go where the knowledge is already brewing, see how we can complement it, and then bring connections to the services, which there's so many of, in St. Mary's. And that's going to take some time, but I will tell you, it's already begun. So for us, it's let's bring our wisdoms together, what we've learned throughout Trinity Health and the larger Trinity Health, which, by the way, prioritizes community health and well-being, well-being being the jobs and the, the economy, all those things that are playing into so the So does 80%. this mean that St. Mary's will be more integrated in perhaps task forces and coalitions and things in the Waterbury area that previous to this they might not have thought were really in their bailiwick? That's right. And I would say it's reciprocal because already I'm pulling the Sister Dolores' aside and saying, I need you to share your thought about what I just saw in Waterbury that you're doing. How can we don't really have that in Waterbury? How can we bring that? It is everything we do in health right now for my area, community health and health equity, is about reciprocal knowledge. We're always, you know, the old health care, I would say, in my opinion, was pretty one-way street. We're going to tell you how to get exercise and help your heart. Now it's a two-way street. We need to know where you live. What, what has not worked for you? Same thing with the experts here right in this building. We need to understand them. They frustratingly learned lessons that we need to learn in Hartford or in Springfield. So that's the spirit and the principle that will make this go forward. The concept of well-being 360 outside of the walls of the hospital, explain what that really means. I know we've learned today about more urgent care centers. We know that there are many professionals working under the banner of St. Mary's, but they're not here on Franklin street in downtown waterbury right so um this is a real basic concept that that 20 percent with this health care nurses doctors and so forth we could continue and have historically given lots of money and hope for more money in that little 20 percent what we really want to do is invest in our communities but if we did that we would just we would learn about the dimensions that are upstream that cause readmissions downstream so we see one view from an ED and from a primary care clinic. What we want to see is a 360 view. And that means we need to get out into the community, 
hear from people, design programs that reach out, do screening, and provide a care plan for virtually anybody from any walk of life, regardless of their income. That is somewhat revolutionary. I want to mention one other thing. Absolutely. We've got to change our culture. We have to reimagine health not just as a hospital. So one, one of the uh, themes of that is the hardest culture, and you'll laugh at this, the hardest culture I have to deal with is probably the old healthcare structure culture. What does that mean? Well, we wear different clothes in healthcare. We have badges, <laughs> and you come in and we send you to sit down, and you have to pay your bill or what. You know, this is a culture. We have to change that. That can be very intimidating, more intimidating and in, in, uh, that we need to break down some of those barriers so that the person who speaks a different language we immediately pick that up and make accommodation to make sure they're able to understand and give better care that way. Marcus McKinney has been with us, the Vice President of Community Health, Chief Health Equity Officer, Trinity Health, New England. Some new concepts for all of us to kind of put our uh, thoughts around. In closing, when you do look at the Waterbury area, is there any particular area that you feel needs greater attention that hasn't been given to that area thus far? Is there anything that you've seen in the early soundings about health equity in our community? Well, uh, the first would, uh, the main one would be, this is a wonderfully diverse community in ways that go beyond not just language, but culture and background and migration. Mm -hmm. uh, um, what we what, what has started here at St. Mary's that we need to support and do more about is to learn the multitude of diversity and how we can calibrate properly the resources to make sure we don't miss people. So our goal is to find, like the Bhutanese community, the um, many of our communities that are quiet, living, working, doing many things in our community, we need to identify those. So we need an infrastructure we're building right now with great folks at St. Mary's to reach out and link them to the resources. Well, I would imagine you would want to be at the gathering where we get all of the ethnic groups in our area, many of whom have been hidden from us, Absolutely. and we bring them together, and you can share a lot Absolutely. of your thoughts and get more information from them. What a pleasure to have you with us, Marcus McKinney, and best of luck and welcome to our community. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Good to Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back with our last few segments on this year's National Hospital Week from St. Mary's Hospital. back at St. Mary's Hospital in the lobby in downtown Waterbury, and we've had guest after guest giving us information about all the changes that have gone on here at St. Mary's as part of the Trinity Health New England family. Jim Tucker is with us, Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer, and Janet Weber, RN, Director of Patient Care. Last week, Jim, you celebrated Nurses Week here at St. Mary's. Tell us a little bit about the nurses here at the hospital, and do we have an up-to-date sense of what the nursing profession is all about? Well, 
the nursing, uh, well, let me start with the nurses here um, are really much of the backbone of everything that we do. Uh, for sure, nurses represent the hands on our community when the needs uh, exist for people to come to the hospital. It's nurses who are providing the care shoulder to shoulder with the medical staff and uh, other uh, professionals taking care of patients. The heart of nursing here is caring. Uh, you see it every day. We take care of each other, frankly, and, and um, it's the mission of the hospital for sure, but it's the mission of uh, nurses to take care of each other and take care of our community. Um, my family members have been cared for here by uh, the nurses who have gone above and beyond. Uh, so we have a, an amazing uh, Workforce of nurses, over 400, um, maybe 480, I think, uh, nurses that work across the system. And, um, you know, with the current state of nursing, it is uh, a challenging era for us to live in. There's a lot of technology that's coming to play. We are getting ready to implement our new electronic health record, EPIC. Um, so the nurses are working hard in learning the new system. And we met uh, Birgit, who came right out of the nursing field and became expert at uh, this whole area of uh, information and how we can make it uh, a better part of the experience. But I do want to ask about that technology, because I know you, you talked about caring, and that's almost a given, I mm -hmm. think, when somebody's going into a field like this. But the technical aspects of what they have to know today to be part of this team, a sophisticated team of doctors and APRNs and PAs and so forth. I mean, what does the team look like and what is the nurse's role these days? Mm. Well, the team is very well integrated with each other. Uh, the, the nursing role is in its own right assessing the needs of the patient and developing a plan of care for the patient. Uh, for sure, it's informed by the physician's assessment and the diagnosis of the ailments of the patient, um, but fleshing that out is um, uh, following the physician's orders, but also identifying the many other needs that individuals have and uh, developing the plan and actions, and then following through on that together with the team. So they're huddling every morning to review as a team. We have interdisciplinary rounds, and uh, the nurses, physicians, physical therapy, dietary, um, multitude of roles uh, that surround the needs of the patient. So there's a lot of dialogue among the team members to help um, make sure we're right on task with what the needs are. And, Janet, I will tell you that I have had some friends who have been in acute care over the recent period, and if I hear anything, it's about the experience they had with the nurses. That is the most memorable part of the experience here. It certainly is, and I, I think one thing about being a nurse that is so unique to other professions is that you can develop an, a relationship with a, with a patient during a very vulnerable period of time in a matter of minutes, and sometimes it's just that eye-to-eye -eye contact or that gentle touch, and I think that it's sometimes hard to describe to people outside of the profession. It's just there. It's innate. Oh, absolutely. It must be very difficult. Well, we heard several years back, and I haven't heard it that often these days, that there was a shortage of nurses. Tell us, is there still a shortage, and where are most of the nurses getting their training? I know we've had nursing uh, schools in the past. Tell 
tell us where they're actually going for their training. There's a multiple, multiple ways that a nurse can become a nurse, especially here in the state of Connecticut. Um, you know, there's the baccalaureate nurse who chooses to go directly to a four-year college and earn a four-year degree. There are nurses who go to um, two-year schools and come out with an associate's degree, and many of them use that as a stepping stone to their BSN. There's advanced programs where you go in with a bachelor's degree in another discipline, and you earn a master's degree and an RN. So there's a variety of, of, um, of ways. We are very fortunate at St. Mary's. We do have an active pool of, of applicants. Um, it's a challenge with the millennials, though, because they don't come and stay in positions for more than two years or so. So we've had to adapt to that and try to entice them and create an environment where they want to stay, but also knowing that in our hearts, that is the generation, and, and they're, they're moving on. And you must spend a lot of money, I mean, invest a lot in uh, their training and their understanding of the St. Mary's Way or the Trinity Health Way. That's got to be difficult when they're moving on every couple of years. It is. So we do try to get very, very creative in our orientation programs. We work very closely with the schools and with our human resource department. Um, to really our Department of Education. We are lucky to have clinical educators that are nurses that are unit-based so that there's a lot of support to, to new people. Okay. Jim, we would be remiss if we didn't go back over the annual Nightingale Awards, and uh, they are being presented on Thursday night, a busy week here for National Hospital Week with the Street Fast and Sparkle and this going on on Thursday. And I'm sure you want to highlight uh, some of those who are recipients from from St. Mary's, because this is going to be held up in Hartford. This is a big gala. It is a significant event uh, annually that we hold, and so we're very excited to be going up uh, to Hartford on Thursday to celebrate uh, our three um, Nightingale uh, winners. Uh, the uh, Let me tell you, can I tell sure. you a little bit about them? Um, first, Janice Edmonds, uh, a spirited, um, impassioned, hardworking nurse who has um, been a key to how our urgent cares have come to life. Now, we've brought up a number of urgent cares over the past few years, and she has been at the center of that. Um, she uh, participates in our morning huddles as representing those off-sites by calling in, and she always has a humorous word or anecdote for us. Um, and in addition, she has been a key part of having our entire workforce vaccinated with the flu vaccine every fall that we go through that process. Uh, so between her and a few others, uh, they have vaccinated close to 3,000 people, both medical staff and, uh, and hospital staff. Um, uh, pretty much every year for the last uh, few years. Um, Janice, is, we're recognizing Janice for her going above and beyond. Uh, she's uh, a phenomenal nurse. Now, also, Beth Weldon, you want to tell us a little bit about her quickly, if you could? Sure. Beth Weldon is one of our shift clinical supervisors, and they are the backbone of this organization, Off Shift and Weekends. And Beth is just an awesome resource, not only to staff, but to the physicians in the community, families. Awesome girl. All right, and then we have Trisha. Is it Rubbo or Rubo? Trisha Rubo. Rubo. Trisha is one of our nurses in our quality department, and Jim is the vice president of quality. So perhaps Jim just wants to mention Trisha a bit. 
Tricia is uh, dances the dance of high reliability, and <laughs> she has carried the message into the organization about keeping people safe. She leads uh, safety and reliability with heart and with passion. A phenomenal nurse. All right, and I know you've been really emphasizing that uh, dramatically here. In closing, yes, Janet. I just wanted to say we're we're doubly celebrating this year because we have 14 nurses in Trinity Health New England who will be honored at the Nightingale celebration. So we're going to celebrate all together for the first time and the theme of the region are nightingales never stop caring and inspiring wonderful well i can tell with leadership like uh, yours they will not forget that jim tucker janet weber thank you both for coming by on watr for national hospital week thank you absolutely our final guest is kathy noon and she is an rn regional executive director of oncology for trinity health new england and of course on Oncology is a very, very important area. We all know that. And it's an area that many of us have had a lot of contact with over the years. And so we want to get an update from her. And Kathy, how are you? How are you? Pleasure to have you. Can you tell us about plans to regionalize cancer care across Trinity Health, New England? That would mean a lot to many people listening. Sure. So I believe earlier today you had Chad um, on, and he was talking about how St. Mary's just recently joined Trinity Health, New England. So across the region, which spans here down in Waterbury, all the way up north to Springfield, Massachusetts, um, we have multiple cancer programs that are coming together as one um, to deliver cancer care in a coordinated way, um, standardize what our protocols are, to really deliver the very best we possibly can to the communities that we serve. And when we look at oncology, many people say that the individualization of the care is really the thing. Correct. That we're going to be able to really isolate the cancer to that person's background, genetics, and the like. So would it be that now that you're able to tie the region together under the banner of Trinity Health, that you might say, well, there's a great specialist over here, and we'd like to move you uh, to this uh, care under that person because of this? When you think about personalized medicine and the whole world of genomics and genetic profiling, being able to target therapies to a person's specific makeup, um, what we want to make sure is we're not duplicating or replicating all of the services across the region. That just wouldn't be cost-effective. But being able to make sure that somebody diagnosed here in Waterbury that needs a particular type of service that we have up in Hartford or in Springfield, that we would be able to instantly connect them, making sure that they have easy, rapid access, and they're getting the care that they need so they don't have to travel out of state. They don't have to leave really far from home um, in order to get that specialized care. And you're working on this. I know Chad Wavell with his transformation efforts working on this. How easily are you knitting together this regional approach with Trinity New England? Well, it's really not me. Um, There's a whole team. Cancer care is never done in a silo. It takes a multidisciplinary approach. So we have a very um, large oncology summit coming up in in June. We were pulling all of the key leaders and stakeholders across the region that deliver cancer care to come together to begin to define what best practices, what does Trinity Health New England Oncology Services um, represents, and how do we begin to knit it together in a brand new fashion? I know that fashion. the Harold Lever Cancer Center, of which St. Mary's is a part, I mean, has been a really important institution here in the Waterbury area. How does that tie together with all of the other services that Trinity Health uh, put that picture in place for us? So, Harold Lever does a fantastic job. It is um, has been servicing the community well over the last few years, um, and we we don't want to change 
that. What we want to do is elevate it. We want to make sure that the team at Harold Lever is connected to all of the caregivers that we have throughout the region. Um, when you think about um, just coming up on June 10th, is Survivor's Day down at Harold Lever Cancer Center, is that we really want to promote the fact that providing access to the cutting-edge technology and services across the region is going to develop more survivors in the Waterbury market. And that's only going to improve care. Well, there are more survivors, and uh, we know we'll all celebrate that with Relay for Life on June 3rd. But tell us, can we start thinking of cancer more as a chronic disease? Yes. Is that possible? It actually is. When you think about, um, in the past, the cancer diagnosis would have been, um, it's the word that nobody wants to hear. Uh, and you're, there's a sickening feeling at the bottom of your stomach when you hear the word you have cancer. Um, the reality is is that it's, not, it's no longer a terminal disease. It is a chronic illness. We're treating patients 20 years out uh, through their first diagnosis, perhaps the second uh, occurrence, uh, because technology and medication utilization, it's all changed. And so that's a good thing for cancer care. Uh, and the next phase is to really be able to target it and personalize it for um, patients out there. When we were talking talking about cardiac care, we were talking about personalization and people taking responsibility. I know when somebody does get the diagnosis, they have all kinds of reactions, but there are so many disciplines that they then have to follow about their chemo or radiation or diet. Uh, I'm, I would imagine that's a big part of what you're doing now is making certain that when they leave after the 10 treatments or whatever it may be, that they're really educated as to what they have to do now. So there's two parts to that, um, is that making sure that the community at large knows how to prevent cancer, make sure that they know when they should have their screens done, whether it be a colorectal screen, breast mammography screen, or your PSAs. Um, so that's the preventative and the wellness aspect. But on survivorship on the back end is making sure that folks know that um, how do you aftercare? Um, so not everything is related to their cancer diagnosis, but how to how to begin to take care of themselves post-treatment. We only have about 30 seconds. The cancer moonshot that we heard about with uh, Joe Biden, is that something that we can all really still focus on? Absolutely. We have to. And that's the future of cancer care is recognizing we, none of us like it. We all hate the diagnosis. We hate the disease. And the only way we're going to change that trajectory is to, is to shoot for the cure. Kathy, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for having well, me. Well, it's all too soon. Soon, the end of this uh, broadcast from St. Mary's Hospital. We've enjoyed every moment talking to all of the great professionals. Jennifer Clement, we can't thank you enough for putting all of this together. Our producer, our engineer has been John Krofsick. Back at the studio, Steve Knoxon, and of course, Chad Wabel and the entire staff at St. Mary's Hospital. Fiona, we thank you so much for your help, and it's been a joy again uh, to be part of National Hospital Week. And we hope you enjoy the rest of this year in good health. Back to the studio.